Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. As we age, it's not uncommon to experience knee inflammation, stiffness, or pain. Two conditions that might cause those symptoms are torn meniscus or osteoarthritis. If the regularity of these conditions might be disheartening, results of a recent study provide reason for optimism. In many cases, physical therapy alone is proving as effective as surgery for treatment of meniscal tears or osteoarthritis. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, we'll talk to physical therapist Claire Saffron Norton, who participated in this encouraging study, which was published online in the New England Journal of Medicine in March 2013. As always, input for our guest is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, here's our interview with Claire Saffron Norton. Claire, let's start with the basics. First of all, can you just describe what the meniscus is and what its role within the knee is? Sure. There's actually two menisci in the knee. There's a lateral medial meniscus and the medial meniscus. And they're basically shaped semi-lunar, crescent-shaped. They are thicker on the outer perimeter and are vascular, which means there's a good blood supply in the outer perimeter. And then they narrow down a little bit towards the center of the knee where they become avascular. They're made out of fibrocartilaginous material, and they mostly interact between the tibia, which is the lower bone on the leg, and the femur, which is the big thigh bone. So they decrease the friction between the bones. They distribute the weight between the two bones when someone is weight-bearing and walking. And they also allow smooth motion to occur at the knee joint. So how crucial is the meniscus? I mean, if I compare a meniscal tear to a, say, ACL tear, what's the severity of that injury? Okay, well, they're both important. They serve different roles. The menisci is considered to be a little more shock absorption and the direct kind of forces when you move your knee, when you flex and extend your knee, and when you walk, when you do stairs. The ACL blocks translational and rotational motion. So if somebody had a torn ACL or a lax ACL, they might feel their knee buckle. Whereas if somebody has a torn meniscus, they might feel more of a block in their knee, like it gets stuck in a certain position and they can't flex it or they can't extend it. And there's a lot of pain that's quite specific. They're typically traumatic injuries, more so in the ACL than a meniscus, and you can also have degenerative changes in the meniscus, which is a little different than somebody who would have a a traumatic knee problem. How common are those meniscal tears? They're very common, actually. It depends on which research resource you read, but most people say more than 500,000 per year. So they're quite common, and they're in varying ages. It can happen in young children, especially with the increase in activity level. They're very common in patients in their 20s, typically more with boys than with girls. It may or may not be related to a genetics anatomy or the sports that they are involved in. And then as we get older, which was what we did in this study, is they get combined with this idea of osteoarthritis. And then we're not sure if it's more of a meniscal problem or if it's more of an osteoarthritis problem. So if I had a meniscal tear, what's the range of severity? Could it be as limited or as small as I have a tear and I don't even really realize it? Maybe I have slight discomfort to not being able to walk. Is that the range? 
That's exactly right. There are a large degree and range of meniscal tears, and the first thing that we do is look at them clinically and how much it's bothering someone or not. So if it's a minor tear, you might not even go to the doctor, and you might have knee pain on and off, and it comes and it goes. They'll usually typically do an MRI if there are clinical tests that rule in that it's likely a meniscus and it's behaving like a meniscus to find the degree of the tear. And then they'll make a decision whether if it's a significant tear and large enough that it's blocking someone's ability to walk or to function at work or in a sport or up and down the stairs or in their everyday life, those are the patients that typically will have to go to the OR and either have them repaired or have them uh, shaved out a little bit, which is called a meniscectomy. The smaller tears, and in the middle-aged population and older population, when we're not sure if it's really the meniscus causing the problem or the osteoarthritis or both, we tend to treat them more conservatively and watch them before we choose to go to surgery. You recently co-authored a study that was in the New England Journal of Medicine related to meniscal tears and osteoarthritis of the knee and the necessity of surgery for some of those cases. Can you describe the intent of the study and then what you found? Correct. Well, it's a very large study. It was uh, done over five years. There's seven centers, so it's a national randomized controlled trial. The patients were 45 years and older, and they had to have a meniscal tear as documented on MRI in addition to having a low to medium grade of osteoarthritis documented on X-ray. And so this is a patient population where they have both. And we're not really sure, is it the osteoarthritis that's causing the problem or is it the meniscus? Or is it both? So we randomized people to a conservative arm, which was just physical therapy, and then a surgical arm, which was the meniscectomy. And what we found in the study is that both groups get better. And there really isn't a statistically significant difference between the two groups getting better. They both got better. So for someone who would prefer not to have surgery, this is a nice option for them. In the conservative arm, which was only physical therapy, 66% of them got better without surgery. However, there was also a large crossover in the trial where 30% of the patients who were supposed to stay in the conservative arm chose to switch over and have the surgery done. And we don't exactly know all the reasons why that happened. Yet. So there seems to be a certain population that is appropriate for surgery in these circumstances and others who will do just fine with a conservative approach. Now, as you mentioned, we're looking at these very specific cases, somebody who had a meniscal tear that was documented, but also who had some level of osteoarthritis in the knee. But is it fair at all to take the results of your study suggest that someone who has a low-level meniscal tear who doesn't have osteoarthritis in the knee might also have equally effective results just from physical therapy alone, or is that too much risk to make that assumption? No, I think that actually happens in common practice on a regular basis. Not everybody goes to surgery. I think any good orthopedic surgeon would tell you if they're not convinced that this is one that needs to be repaired or they don't have a mechanical block that's affecting them in their everyday function, they would do a course of trial of physical therapy before they decide to go into surgery. And many of those patients do get better and, and don't need surgery, and others that don't progress, then we refer them back to the surgeon. I'm assuming anybody who did have the surgery would have ideally some sort of post-op physical therapy, even if they didn't do physical therapy beforehand. Is there a significant difference in that physical therapy approach for the person who has a torn meniscus who's trying to avoid surgery and the person who's had surgery for a torn meniscus and now is trying to recover from that surgery? 
We purposely designed a study here to have the two arms very similar, and the way that we practice in this case is similar um, in clinical practice anyway. There's a big difference with somebody who has a meniscus repaired versus a meniscectomy, but when it's a simple meniscectomy, when the meniscus and the knee has been cleaned up, it's very similar to what we would do for somebody who didn't have surgery. And what might that rehabilitation process look like? In both arms, they would restore range of motion, reduce swelling, reduce pain, restore strength, and restore function. And the typical exercises that we do are open chain and closed chain. So closed chain is when your foot is fixed on something, like doing a leg press or doing a bicycle or an elliptical or a stairmaster or a treadmill. Open chain is more specific to exercises. We also typically strengthen the hip because there's been good research to show if the hip is strong, there's less stress on the knee. Sometimes we look at the ankle foot if we need to, and we work work on balance and proprioception and high level of functional activity. In one of these cases where the tear was not so significant that surgery was immediately ruled as necessary, what's typically the length of a recovery for somebody who's going through physical therapy? Are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? I mean, how soon for a minor tear that might not require surgery can someone expect to be sort of back to themselves? Well, it can be as small as two weeks, and it can be as long as, I would say, 8 to 12 weeks. But typically, you know, in our study, they actually only had, I think, uh, the, the mean was about seven to nine visits, which is not a lot. So that's, you know, twice a week for maybe about four weeks in the overall mean of the trial. But it really depends on the degree of the tear, the degree of swelling, the degree of pain, the degree of loss of motion and strength. And it also depends on how the patient comes in. If we're looking at someone who's pretty athletic and exercises on a regular basis, they might start out quite high and it be a small, quick recovery versus somebody who was already deconditioned and then something happened, they've got a little catching up to do. So I want to ask a couple questions here, even though we're looking at meniscal tears. Osteoarthritis in the knee, why is that so similar? In other words, why at this point are you not sure whether it's osteoarthritis that's actually being effectively treated via the physical therapy or the meniscal tear itself? Why is there that gray area? Well, because they're located in the same part of the body. So you have the bone, and then you have cartilage right over the bone, which is where the osteoarthritis happens, and then the meniscus sits right on top of it. So and they both are innervated by pain fibers, so it's difficult to say which one is actually causing the problem. Obviously, you have a bias. You're one of the authors in the study, but in general, how compelling or exciting are these results? I mean, do you come away from this feeling like this is a pretty significant study, or do you come away only aware of what you don't know at this point? No, this is a pretty significant study that's received a lot of press internationally and was done very well. You know, we had seven centers across the country, 310 patients. It was randomized nicely. It was controlled as best as we could. And it's a very common problem that hasn't been looked at long term. We followed these patients over two years. This is only the first six months of data that we're actually presenting right now, and we will continue to follow them over time with repeat MRIs and repeat functional questions. So it's an exciting group to continue to watch to see how both arms do and what their tissues look like over time. That said, on the flip side, what don't you know about meniscal tears or osteoarthritis of the knee that you wish you did? 
Well, right now, the next step, we are looking at several things with the same study and the same group. The next thing that we're going to look at are the prognostic factors that will predict the patient who will do best without surgery and the patient who probably should go to surgery. So we're looking at very specific prognostic factors within each group to see if we can kind of start to figure out, you know, when is it that we should be saying that these people should go versus not going to surgery. And the second thing is a cost analysis to figure out is, you know, one arm more expensive or less expensive than the other. Those prognostic factors, can you give me a hypothetical example of what that might be? Well, it may be the biomechanical alignment of someone if they had more of a valgus or a knock-kneed posture versus a more varus or bow-legged posture. The weight-bearing forces on their knee joint might be different than someone who doesn't have that, or somebody who has pronated feet, which is a flat foot, might have more of a load on the medial meniscus than someone who didn't have a flat foot. We're looking as far as work, you know, how many days do people miss from work versus not, what's their activity level, what was their strength, their baseline range of motion, their their baseline x-rays, their baseline MRI. I mean, there's so many factors. We have such a rich source of information on this group that we can really look at many different factors that might be predicting one group getting better in one arm of the study than another. Stepping away from the survey, are there any preventative steps that people can do to avoid meniscal tears in the first place? Not that I'm aware of from a research perspective. You know, there are meniscal tears that happen because of a traumatic injury, and I don't think you can always predict that in certain sports or somebody fell or was in an accident. In general, I would think that people would agree that staying strong and staying healthy and fit would certainly make your muscles stronger and less likely to fall or have an accident. But, you know, people genetically are designed certain ways, and you really can't change that too much. And whenever there's a traumatic cause, that's hard, difficult to change, too. If you talk to somebody who had a meniscal tear, what would be your advice in light of the study, how they approach their treatment? Should they be saying something to their physician? Should they be going to physical therapist first? What's the way they should approach getting treatment for their injury? Well, it really depends on how the patient presents in the clinic. So if someone came to me and was able to walk without limping and had pain on and off, little to no swelling, decent strength but not perfect, and decent range of motion but not perfect, then I would say it was worth the course of physical therapy. If somebody came in on crutches and could barely walk and had had a fall over the weekend or some mechanism of injury that would lead to a significant meniscal tear with a mechanical block, then I would refer them to an orthopedic surgeon. So it really depends on the degree of the tear. In our study, we excluded anyone with a mechanical block, which really that's the kind of patient that should automatically go to the OR. But somebody who is functioning pretty nicely and pain is their biggest problem and really not sure which way it's going to go, then most often it's okay. And, you know, we now know statistically that two-thirds of them will get better without surgery. So most would probably try the conservative route first. Claire Safran Norton, thank you for uh, sharing the results of your study and information on meniscal tears. We appreciate it. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. For more on how physical therapists can treat someone with a torn meniscus or osteoarthritis of the knee, go to MoveForwardPT.com. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.